0: Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi there, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours, as always. And today we've got someone who's not particularly associated with electronic music, but I have always been an admirer of his work and his voice. Uh, David McCalmont, well known for uh, McCalmont and Butler, uh, Thieves, he's worked with various people. Morrissey. Uh, David Arnold, Craig Armstrong, Michael Nyman. He's got a stratospherically beautiful voice. He's a very talented guy. He's also an art historian. We discussed that in this episode. And he works um, also for the Architectural Association, where he he heads up a group that um, are interested in the connection between creativity and art and architecture. Um, Originally trained as an actor in the performing arts But um, soon realised that his talents were best suited to using his incredible voice But he's a very smart guy Very intelligent Wide-ranging interests uh, which And these kind of eclectic people always interest me more than just people who've got a single skill And um, yeah Enjoy it. Here he is, David McCalmont.
1: I, 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 I I've got to say that you're, a, you, 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 you're, you're very important to my musical um, background. Um, for several years from 1987, I have aspired to create the next... Great British soul album, and the first, and 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 the and and the British soul album that I'm, as far as I'm concerned, that was great. Prior to those attempts, I don't know if I've managed it. (laughs) it (laughs) Introducing the hardline, according to Terence Trent D'Arby.
0: Well, that's very kind of you. Um, And if I'd have known. That you were, uh, uh, you might have been interested in my in my expertise. I would have definitely, definitely volunteered my services, because I'm not just saying this. I'm a fan of your work, and um, Thank you. in fact, I do believe, and um, I'm pretty certain that I tried to contact you for the for for the um, third B F album that I did in 1991. And um, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, it kind of fell between the cracks somewhere, or maybe I sent it to the wrong email address. But I wanted you to be on the album.
1: Ninety-one. Uh, sorry,
0: the second one, the second one, ninety-two.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was just kind of.
0: Um, emerging well, it might like have been two thousand. might. Sorry, it might. I did another one in two thousand and five. So it might have been that. Yeah. I tried to contact you to do do it. Um, And actually, I think another... uh, I wanted you to uh, consider performing live with BEF as well. And um, I don't know how it never happened, because obviously we know about each other's work and I'm a fan of yours, so... um, Anyway, I don't know, maybe... So I did it through a third party, and somebody said, it, you know, you weren't available. I don't know. I can't remember to be honest.
1: Well, I mean, here we are. I mean, the magical thing about it was that I was—I ju- just honestly took Umbridge that documentary. <laughs> I had no idea that this would be the outcome. So, um...
0: <laughs> thank you for supporting me in that respect. Um, the weird thing is that the Tina documentary, uh, well, uh, the Tina uh, stage show has me in it as a character. For God's <laughs> sake, so they can hardly deny that it was an important part of the uh, thing. But, you know, it's like an HBO documentary and it's for the American audience largely. So, so. Um, but um, I've always regarded your voice as being something stratospherically beautiful, really. And to be honest, you were probably at that time post-Terence on my list of people who if I could have clicked my fingers and made it work... Uh, I would have liked to have had a go at, you know, because I've always thought. So anyway, you know, sometimes these things just don't happen for whatever reason. It's, it's sad. But there's no, it's never too me. late. No, it's never too late. <laughs> so uh, if you have any ideas, let me know. Um, I just want to go through your upbringing, really. Um I mean, I don't know how accurate Wikipedia ever is, to be oh, honest. Okay. But um, but uh, you you were born in Guyana, is that right?
1: Does Wikipedia say I was born in Guyana? I think so. Oh, that's interesting because I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> were you born in the UK? Yeah, it's. I I, I, I was born in Croydon.
0: Okay, this is going well. Oh, God. Well, you know, um, but did you spend time in Guyana at all? Yes. Yeah. I was in Guyana from
1: 1978
0: to 87. Oh, okay. That's where my confusion lay. So uh, I do apologize.
1: That is where I first heard your music. Is it? Yeah, that was the thing is that um, the, uh, the argument about the documentary was that um, Let's Stay Together wasn't small. It couldn't have been because I heard it in Guyana.
0: It wasn't the small; it was the it was uh, the most popular 12-inch single in America at the time.
1: Right. Mm. And but uh, well, we didn't hear about things in Guyana unless they were successful in America.
0: Yeah. And actually, coming back to uh, and in those days, it was quite a known thing to to kind of break. You know, a lot of soul would do well in in the UK and then kind of transfer back to the US. It's hard to break the U.S. There's so much talent there, and this so such a big market. I mean, you might stand more chance coming from an outside location, and and g- gaining attention in Europe. And that's often what they thought. I mean, a lot of the Motown acts, were, were spent more time in the U.K. than they did in in uh, in the U.S., which is interesting. I thought. And. Um, but so so you're so you came back to the uk you're born in croydon moved to guyana came back to the uk and obviously you were always um, when did you realize that you had a special vocal talent shall we say
1: um i realized that it was special one night when i was tripping in about <laughs> 1994 Um, I was at home with um, a little residue from the weekend and I thought I know it's a great idea let's have a let's pop something and have a listen to the music and that was interesting because it seemed to separate me from whoever the guy on the vinyl was and I thought wow my god you're actually really good up until up up until then I thought that the people who were saying so might happen might be onto something and so I, so I was thinking, well, this person has said this and that person has said that. So let's see. Yeah, yeah. Um, How
0: old were you at that time? Uh, in,
1: 80, in, in 1990, I went to uh, Middlesex Polytechnic and uh, there came a, a situation arose. I went there to study drama, minoring in um, dance and music. Right. And a situation arose whereby I had to sing and it did actually have an effect in the room. And then um, I decided that I was going to come out. Right. But coming out also meant for me uh, leaving the church that I was in. So oh, I was like, what,
0: what, what What?
1: what am I going to do with my nights? What am I going to do with my spare time? And at that right. point, I thought, oh, I know. There's this newspaper called The Melody Maker. Yeah. And they have advertisements in the back for singing. So let's give it a go and see if it works.
0: Crikey. And... Um so you you yeah and so you you realize that i mean obviously your range is incredible um and that's quite an unusual range i mean it reminds me of um i mean it's got a certain uh, philadelphia soul aspect to it you know the kind of uh what what can we say it's quite like um yeah i suppose the the ojs uh, that kind of thing and uh Hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh I mean who were your influences at that point?
1: Well, I think that like most British kids in the 70s, it was um it begins with top of the pops. And absolutely my mother's um taste was an interesting combination of soul singles. Right. So we had Gladys Knight in the house, we had The OJ's in the house, we had
0: um try by any chance no st- stylistics stylistics
1: Stylistics. Right. right right archie bella the drills but then she also was like perry big on perry como and bing crosby and dean martin and people like right,
0: that right right right
1: right so um yeah my sister and i were were always singing from really early on and i remember um one of the um most remembered memories from watching On um, Top of the Pops when I was a kid was um, the, the what seemed like a ritual that went on for weeks, and it did, because it was number one for weeks, was um, me and my sister <laughs> um, putting T-shirts on our heads for, um, <laughs> for, for Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> so it'd be like, um, this is something... Oh, my God. Okay, it's Bohemian Rhapsody time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. I love that. And um, so, in terms of your influence, in terms of your singing, what what? So you had a wide range of, uh, uh, of a variety of different influences then. So you actually, I mean, I went, you know, I grew up in a uh, a family of older sisters, and they had a similar mixture of soul and uh, pop music and, you know, it's more like the Beach Boys and the Beatles and stuff like that. But they loved soundtrack music as well. Was there any of that in your house?
1: Soundtrack music?
0: I mean, like musicals, should we say.
1: Um, My mother gave me a mighty gift very early on. Um, I don't know if she was just buying what parents buy for their kids. What I found really odd about it was that she bought me the soundtrack to The Sound of Music, but not the movie, the original Broadway cast recording. And I don't know to this day why she went into a shop and thought that her son should have this Mary Martin original Broadway cast recording of Sound of Music. Uh. (laughs) I learned The Sound of Music before I'd heard Julie Andrews singing it. And then later on, I got the um, the Julie Andrews version for myself, which is... um, Something that's really close to my heart, especially since I discovered that it um goes that the and Hammerstein were actually referencing the ancient world when they <laughs> were. And I had no idea about that until you know relatively recently. But um the other the other album I have that I really love, and I just found it like this year was um a K-Tell um Disney Disney album. <laughs> but it wasn't um the disney original recordings it was um the oh god the alan ainsworth singers
0: oh my goodness
1: and um a load of british uh, a, 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 a british singers singing things like ugly bug ball and winnie the pooh and i think the versions on this album were better than the disney originals really uh, there's a guy called Ronnie something. I forget his surname. Something like Ronnie Hilton or something.
0: Ronnie Hazelhurst. No. No. I oh, know you mean a singer. The singer. Ronnie Hilton, would that, that he was a singer, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, his version of Ugly Bug Bull is vastly superior to what Blur lives does with it. Vastly. Really? Yeah. So Chill, kid, kiddie soundtrack. Oh, yeah, we had the um, we had the soundtrack for Mary Poppins, but it was that sort of music that was coming in.
0: And did you fancy yourself as kind of being part of a kind of stage musical thing at that point? Did it ever occur to you?
1: Busted, totally busted. But
0: that <laughs> was <laughs> why <laughs> I went
1: to <laughs> technical. I was going to be a, a singing, dancing,
0: <laughs> jazz hands, tap dancing the lot. Could not dance. Oh, give over,
1: no, no, I mean I can dance, but when it came to like one, two, three, two, oh, three right, yeah counting, the counting completely killed me,
0: yeah, yeah, so
1: I don't know how i put ha, 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 well, I actually I left the university to um because I signed a publishing deal to Chrysalis music, but um i I really despaired of the dance. It was like, oh my God, I can't count
0: <laughs> <laughs> give over um, what about um? When did you realise that you were quite good at songwriting then?
1: Oh, well, now there's a question, because um, that's arguable, isn't it?
0: Oh, it's not arguable. Come on. If somebody gives you a publishing deal, straight off, that's no joke, you know.
1: Yeah, but then isn't um, good songwriting sort of based on how well you do um, in terms of, ha- of of response to what you write?
0: Yeah, but I'm, I'm just really judging by, say, cont- I mean, I you know, you're a teacher. I'm a teacher as well. I teach a lot of students. Um, they would kill to get, uh, a lot of them would kill to get, you know, a uh, publishing deal straight out of, the, out of the traps, you know. So somebody, how did that come about?
1: The songwriting?
0: Yeah. Don't rate me. Okay.
1: Um, um, but it doesn't mean anything. So he puts in words, one word for every note that goes. A little something like, "When you know the notes, <laughs> <to sing." laughs>
0: that's
1: why I think. That's why I think you know quite seriously that sound of music is so powerful. Because up until then, that's an ancient truth. And then Julie Andrews gets um, get, get you know, is, is chosen to like deliver this message. She's um, your guru. Yeah. I would love to do a survey of um, musicians of my generation who saw Sound of Music and heard that, you know, don't worry about it. Once you've got the notes, add the words and you're off. Uh And that's what I've been doing ever since, because I don't play,
0: you know, I don't line. You're top line. Yeah, totally top liner. Really interesting. So what was your first commercially released recording?
1: Probably um, a EP for my manager's low low profile label. Right. Early on, it was us, um, a group called Disco Inferno. Do you remember them?
0: Uh, I I don't know a group called Disco Inferno. No. I
1: think think they were signed to Cherry Red Records and might have been Ultramarine or something. But it was a small CD EP limited edition of four songs. I think that was the first time that I put anything
0: out. Okay. And what year was that?
1: Uh, It would have been 92, 93.
0: And if you could have aspired to be someone at that stage, who do you think? Who did you have front of mind going, if only I could be that person? (laughs) No, no, if only you could. Yeah, because I really criticise young people uh, at the start of their career for going you know, I just want to be successful, you know? I mean, I think think it's actually quite a negative attitude to have because you should be more focused on developing your craft and then it will happen if it's meant to happen.
1: Well, I think if I'm thinking about that period, I'm emerging from the late eighties. So um, we kind of, uh, we've just come, we're we're, we're, we're sort of on the edge of thrillers success. Yeah. Sort of um, r- in, in the heart of um, Janet Jackson's success. And so I think if I were to answer that question, so I can't remember, it would be um, one of the Jacksons.
0: Yeah. So I thought, I thought
1: yeah. they had it all.
0: Yeah. And I'm five yeah.
1: star. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, 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 no kidding. I came here and um, Prince, pr- Prince, Prince was my. Um, sort of teenage hero, um, I got my, my first supplementary benefit check and the first thing that I spent my um, uh, social on was Parade, Purple Rain, oh. Times and Around the World in a Day.
0: Do you know, I think Parade is my favourite Prince album. Oh, I just love mountains and... Uh, mm. I just think it's a magnificent piece of work. Funnily enough... Um, I've just interviewed uh, Morris Hayes, who's the uh, MD and keyboard player from New Power Generation. Right. That's coming out tomorrow, actually. And um, he was... I mean, that was a very interesting thing. That That was after that period. But he was part of his touring band for, like, 10, 15 years and did all the programming and everything. And the stories he tells about Prince... I mean, I was lucky enough to actually record a Prince track with um, two, no, one Prince track with uh, Jill Jones. Do you remember Jill Jones? One sure. of his backing singers who did Mia Bocca. Okay. Yeah. That wasn't the track. It was another track called um, For Lust. And it was all, you know, like, For Lust I Will i will stretch you across a grand piano and let you see what you <laughs> let you see what you can see you know and that kind of stuff it was fairly fruity and um but she was so sexy and beautiful and gorgeous and um but it never got put out unfortunately it came out on the you know the prince vault things that have been coming out and um I, I was very proud of that of course to get to do a prince record actually yeah. when when i was in the um when I was in the the studio with Terence, we got a we got an, um a phone call one day from Prince's management at Paisley Park, and he said Prince would like you to send all your demos to him. <laughs> and, and me and Terence went, yeah, seriously. And and um, me and he was assuming that uh, Terry would be so. Um, or Sananda, should I say now? He gets mad at me if I say it. So uh, Sananda would have got um, would have been so flattered that he'd just immediately send all his his kind of inside dope, you know. And I'm going, mean we looked well, at, if, yeah, go on. If you speak
1: if you speak to Sananda, you must you, you you must convey my apologies to him because I got a, a, a request on social media from somebody calling themselves Senanda. And as usual with social media, I looked at it and I saw the photograph, and I thought, "Oh, this is somebody, you know, using yeah. Terence terror- photograph and calling, you know." And it's obviously not him. I didn't realize that it was actually.
0: Oh shit! Oh hmm. shit! So did oh. he ignore it? Yeah. Oh no! Then, I, no did, I just interviewed I him. He changed his name. Yeah, I just interviewed him, and um, yeah, I just interviewed him. Now he's an interesting character. Hmm. Mm. Let me tell you. Uh, very talented, great voice, brilliant, but uh, a bit a bit damaged by the industry. Yeah. Um,
1: yes, it's it, 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 it's it's a damager. <laughs> it's a
0: damager. <laughs> do you feel Do you feel like it damaged you in any way? I mean, were you uh, frustrated? At any, well, everybody is at some point. But.
1: I don't know if this is a legitimate complaint to make about the industry, but I don't think there's any kind of um, counsel. Uh, coming from uh, managers or artists, so sorry, or, or, or labels for artists. I feel that you're just um, invited in, um, taken to the dinners, champagne's ladled down your throat and then you sign in the <laughs> dotted line and you have no idea what's coming and there's nobody, like I think that uh, record labels should have an office you know, um, that's the lady that you go to. That's the man that you go to who will, like, you know, tell you what it is that's going on here. Always remember that it's a business.
0: Yeah.
1: Somebody had told me, always remember that basically you are creating music with a view for sale, and that's why you sign on the dotted line. I think my experience would have been better. But mm-hmm. I thought I was being signed as an artist, and every time I expressed myself, so, I'm sorry, many times when I expressed myself, um, because people couldn't hear, hit, or couldn't get it, they um, attacked my artistry. And so I found myself in a place, um, this was towards the end where I really um, couldn't write because every time I wrote something down, it was like, is that a hook? Is that a hook? Mm. And uh, I did actually get to a point after I did the second album with Bernard in 2002 and we had this really hideous experience with an awful human being who, just kept us on the label for a year, sat the person who signed us, wouldn't release us, but t- told us to our faces that he would never um, pay attention to our music unless it was on the radio, and even then he wouldn't like it, told us that we needed to get with the technology more. We actually spent a year accommodating him, and then he turned around and dropped us anyway. And at that point, I thought, well, I'm just going to sing jazz standards from now on because... Right. Uh, you know what's the point of me writing anything? That's why I, that, that that's probably why I responded to you the way I did earlier when you said, um "When did you realize you were good at songwriting?" I'm like, "Well, am I?" Because uh based on those experiences in the industry, one might argue that I'm not that good at it.
0: Uh, I don't know. That's not true. But um, I, I I I concern myself with the the mental health of um, the artists that I've. I connect with, not only on a professional level, but the students and everything, because I think we are are a a duty of pastoral care to to their mental well-being, because that's when, apart from anything else, that's when the good shit happens, Mm -hmm. right? When Mm -hmm. people are happy and feeling creative, feeling enabled to uh, collaborate in a significant way. And so whenever I worked with artists, I always... Um, insisted to the record company that they had no uh, they had no place in the studio at all I said look if you employ me we need to create I know it's, it's an ironic term now but it's like a bubble right? which is we're insulated we are doing something incredible here we're creating a piece of magic from nothing if you mess around with the formula then it ceases to become magic so, um, for instance, if I'd have worked with you at that point, I would have defended you against the record label. And, they, uh, because, and because I said to people as a producer, I said, um, you know, I will always, and this is from the outset, always be on the side of the artist at every point. What we do is deliver high-quality product product to you that's creative and beautiful, and you put it out and do your bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, it's very interesting to hear you say that, because now I'm at the Architectural Association. That's my, that, 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 that's my job. And um, I um, have a unit, it's called the Eureka unit. And in the Eureka unit, um, the, um, the, the, the the subject, the pursuit is um, inspirational engineering, mm.
0: Um.
1: Uh, because um, out of those experiences, I decided that um, it was, uh, you know, what was really important to me it was vital to me, which is why I went to Burke Beck and studied art history was that I'd be inspired. Yeah. You yeah. can have the voice, you can have the ability, you can have whatever, but if you're not inspired, yes. you are, basically, I don't know if I can swear on your show. But you, can,
0: uh, you can swear all the fuck you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're not inspired, you're fucked.
1: And so <laughs> that's what I've been doing ever since, making sure that come what may, you know the inspiration is alive and well that's, that 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 i that i see now more than anything as my purpose
0: oh my goodness that's so great to hear you say that and uh, so to, so the architectural association uh, um, how does that connect with your expertise
1: well there's a unit with uh, a, a studio within the architectural association called the interprofessional studio ah. uh, it's for uh, uh architecture postgraduates who are interested in working with artists and performers um, I'm
0: jealous I want your job it sounds great Well it sounds like you're doing my job don't you do I, installations and stuff I do yeah I've done a lot of work with uh, with architectural practices and uh in fact I've lectured at the architectural association and, uh, okay. and at Bartlett and and all these places, <laughs> because, I mean, you probably know this already, but when I was first introduced into this world, because what I do is sonic architecture, essentially, it sounds very pretentious, but the 3D sound thing is essentially that. So it's sensory architecture. And... Um, <laughs> <engineering>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we're good at coming up with these pretentious terms, right? And um, and when, when, uh, when I was lecturing, um, and I first went to lecture at Bartlett, for instance... I was talking to the students beforehand and the lecturers, and I was saying, you know, how seriously do you take sound and creativity in your practice? Because, you know, there's all this bollocks about, you know, uh, architecture is frozen sound or whatever, or, you know, I've worked with so many different, uh, like Make, for instance, I've worked with them, they're good future-facing kind of architectural practice. I've worked with... um, uh, harbour stoke rogers um, who are you know obviously done some massive stuff around the world i work with um a place called grant associates who are uh, master planners for 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 um big futuristic projects like the gardens by the bay in singapore they did the big super trees and stuff and we were going to put an entire you know like in the um in the eden project they have different biomes uh where they have you know plants from around the world in different sections i was suggesting some that we do an a, 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 an in-depth uh, research project where we get all the fauna from the different parts of the world and put it in different parts of the gardens so you could do a, a, essentially a sensory trip around the world while you were there and um, stuff like that. So the way that sound interacts with architecture for me, I mean, I, I had a place in Venice for nearly 30 years. So uh, it's been a big influence on me, architecture. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, so oh, how did you get into architecture then? What, how did that happen? I mean... Um,
1: I didn't really. Um, really, the extent of my getting into it is studying the history of Western art and architecture. right. Which was, I was at the National Gallery looking at a Fra Angelico painting, and I thought this is the key to staying inspired. Go back and do a degree in art history because then you got language, Brilliant. philosophy, you got imagery. But um, uh, the art, uh, the, the studio, at the Architectural Association approached me because they knew that I was a singer, and they wanted to bring that kind of expertise into work with the students.
0: I would love to um, speak to you about this offline, actually. Okay. I mean, I'd love to come and talk to your students or whatever um, about my experiences for 20 years in immersive um, yeah, architectural but... sound. I'm sure they'd yeah. be interested in it. The school
1: would be thrilled, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's talk about that uh, later. Um, okay. So let me just look at my notes here. So tell me about your work with, um, obviously... Uh, you did really well with uh, mccalmont and B- Butler, and um, that was the the point where you thought you were going to be the, you know, you, when you're in the middle of something really unique and successful. I just think uh-huh. one feels it's going to last forever. I did anyway. Uh-huh. and uh, and and we were all wrong, of course, and uh, and, and we should have known really. But, uh-huh. um, but how? I mean, you you worked for quite a long time together, right? Oh, well, tell me about, about uh, Mr. Butler.
1: No, um, it, it, it was such a torrid old time. Um, you know, Bernard had just left, uh, well, he, he'd he been thrown out of Suede. Um, I'd been working in a group called Thieves. We'd split up. Um, I wanted the first album that I released, the McCalmont album, to be a Thieves album. I, right. I, campaign for that but they said no because uh Saul won't let you release it as a, 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 a as thieves so it has to be a McCallumont record and I think that was um unfortunate because it made more sense as a thieves record than it did as a McCalmont record right um and but then um my managers had the bright idea of oh check this out Bernard's on his own David's on his own let's get them together and see what happens and uh, Bernard's aspiration at the time was just to write this great happy song right and he did that yeah Uh, he listened to Dusty Springfield he listened to Scott Walker for weeks and then came up with with, with the fabulous yes and of course yes did well Record company gets involved. No, don't be silly. You can't possibly just have a single. You have to write more. Um, and then uh, it went on longer than either of us wanted it to. Um, we fell out, and then we didn't speak for seven years.
0: Oh shoot!
1: And then in 2002, we got back and made a great record. A record that very few McCallum and Butler fans, at so-called, have any idea exists. That was all about it. Bring it back. Bring it back. 2002. Um, I was sitting down at home one afternoon uh, thinking, oh, dear, you know, the way that artists do, what am I going to do with my life? I'm useless. And, you know, you, when you're a top line writer, you can really um, experience um, that, 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 that sense of use, uselessness. And the phone rang. It was Bernard. And um, the sun came out. <laughs> And he said, I've been writing some songs and I've been thinking about um, you and you're the only person who could really work with me on them. So um, what do you reckon? Oh. And so I met him and um, we made our apologies for being young and imbecilic. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We um, started, so um, there's a song on that album. The the title track is Bring It Back and there's a song, the, the song Bring It Back. There's a line that says, um, and the sun came out the moment you called, and I'm glad you called. And that was um, because that's actually what happened. It was gray. Bernard rang. I'm like, oh my God, Bernard, hi, sunshine. Became a lyric in the song. Oh,
0: you obviously <laughs> love each other. Come on. But then that was the album
1: that was signed to EMI. We go around the tour, we, we, we go around the, uh, for a national tour on a pink bus. Last day of the tour, pink boss parked on Brighton Beach, phone rings, um, guy who signed us to EMI um, has been fired from EMI. We oh. are now in the hands of asshole man from EMI.
0: Fucking hell. Yeah. How often does that happen, that sort of stuff?
1: It was rotten luck. It was like, oh my God, that, that, that's us. Our goose is cooked. And then, you know, my response to that was, I'm not writing anymore. I'm going to become a, a, a jazz standard singer. And Bernard um, went back to work with the tears.
0: Uh,
1: Anderson,
0: yeah. I have to say, just as a side a side note, that I think uh, Suede are my favourite um, kind of Britpop pop band. Out of all of them, um, I, I, I thought they were very creative and very interesting. Um, that's so sad. I mean, we had a similar situation with Hem 17, where. Um, we put out what we thought was a really good album in the uh-huh. in the, in the mid '90s. Uh-huh. We finished it, and it was on this, on the album of the people who did. Um, it was the guys who did Snap, right? It got they suddenly got all this money. It was number one all over the world. I got the power and all that stuff. Yeah, and and, um, and they formed their own label, which is attached to Warner's. And they, they brought us over to Germany where they were based and they showed us all their Ferraris and their studios and everything. And they gave us a big advance and we're going, this is great. And then we finished the album. They loved it. Uh, two weeks later, they said, <laughs> they said, oh, we're bored with it. We're dissolving the company. And uh, so the rights reverted back to Warner's. We've got no interest in the album at all. So this shit happens all the time, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. That sounds like that sounds like the industry, and um, that's um, very interesting for me to hear right now. A very apposite because I've just finished this album with um, Sean. I've had this real this luxury of working on it from twenty sixteen until now. We haven't been solidly working on it um, um, dur- during that period. But, uh, you know, we've been getting on with our lives and working on it when we can, which has been great because it's given us plenty of time to think about the material in the gaps. And um, I'm really pleased with the outcome, but suddenly it's this body of work that we've been alone with on the 18th floor um, of a tower block in, in my End mostly, you know, lovingly and intimately working on this material. And now it's about to go into the hands of the whoever really. And then you don't know what's going to happen to it because it's okay, the record's finished, who's going to put it out? What kind of nonsense? Oh. You know, I, I, I haven't been in the industry, really, since 2002. So what kind of nonsense awaits?
0: You won't recognise the industry now, I don't think it's, um, no. but you know, the thing is, you've got a fantastic reputation. And you know, you have the stuff that you've done. Uh, you've never kind of um, relinquished your credibility, should we say? So you still have credibility now. I know you like, don't. Put your, don't roll your eyes. <laughs> no, I was just, like, just like,
1: have I? <laughs> yeah, no, you
0: still. Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, I can always tell when things come from. I don't even have to hear it. I know it'll come from an authentic place. I know because uh, you're an artist. You're not just like some kind of, you know. Money grabbing met, metric pumping, uh, Spotify list, uh, uh, needing kind of guy. You, you do things from a, a heartfelt place, clearly. And, um, so I, I, you know, and also it's indicative that you know, because you work with David Arnold, and you know, these people, these are highly credible people, of course. Tell us yes. about the David Ar- Arnold thing, by the way.
1: Um.
0: I remember hearing Play Dead for the first
1: time right? and trying to get my managers to find this guy. I'm like, this is somebody that I should work with, um, but nothing came of it. Uh, or, or I, I don't know what inquiries they made or anything like that, but, um, but it didn't happen. And then Yes happened um, with Bernard, and that's when quite a few people um, uh, checked in to see what I was up to and what I was going to be doing next. And one of them is David Arnold and he was it was just before he was um um making his pitch for c- composer to the bond um yeah. theme. very cunning ruse I know let's do a big splashy um album of interpretations of bond themes and see if we can get the job and of course they gave it to him but um he wanted me to do diamonds are forever and I said I'm only gonna do it if I um, don't have to change the gender because I mean, uh, otherwise, but it really annoys me when um, the, the, the the man that got away becomes the gal that got away for Frank Sinatra. Why can't mm. um, Frank Sinatra identify with a female's emotions? That sort of attitude. So I was like, only if... And um, David's answer was, sure, the album has to have a sense of humour. <laughs> <That's But, okay. laughs> well, as long as I get to say, you know, um. Um uh men are mere mortals who are not worth going to your grave for, that's fine. And then um yeah, the relationship kind of um carried on from there. We did work on some tracks for my uh third album, which was Little Communication. Yeah. Um and uh also Craig Armstrong appeared
0: around about that time. You no, know, I love his work so much. I think yeah. his orchestrations are so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, have- yeah, And that all came from that kind of, I know him from Massive Attack and all yeah. that stuff as well. But um, in fact, Massive Attack, I must get them on the podcast thinking about it. They're such an influence on me. I loved all that stuff.
1: I did have the pleasure of going on the road with um, Craig and actually experiencing the, um, there, was, there was a lovely show he did in Ghent, they have an annual the Ghent Film Festival and the Ghent Film Festival, as far as I know, is the only fest- film festival that is about the soundtrack. And uh, he, he, he headlined there and I, I performed with him there. Um, so re- re- really great memories with Craig. Um, fun nights out in Glasgow. Um, I met him when um, the plan was for me to do Unfinished Sympathy with them at the Reading Festival.
0: Really? Oh, my God.
1: My managers at the time, um, you know, in my mind, it was like, oh, yeah, I'll do Unfinished Sympathy. Go to Reading Festival with Massive, have a great day out and go home. Whereas my managers thought, thought that I should be paid thousands of pounds for it. And I was like, and that killed it. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean about, you know, taking your art and putting it in the hand of businessmen. It's, it's interesting. It's right sometimes. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, we've had occasionally had managers, but they never stuck. So what? right from 1980, really, up to the present day, m- myself and Glenn, who was the only two original members left of M17, oh. we've always looked after our own business, apart from obviously you need a lawyer, right, Uh, and an agent and and a logistics manager. But, I mean, we do all the strategy and the the kind of deals and everything. And I always encourage uh, young artists to consider that because we did it right from the start. And we, you know, I think if you have a direct contact with a record label, it's a different relationship you have with the label. Because if they think everything has to be funneled through management, it's different, different.
1: Yeah. But um, when things got really busy, did um, you fare well without a manager? Didn't you find yourself doing more admin
0: than art? No, because uh, we didn't tour back in the day. We were a studio band. So that was our domain. Nice. Uh, and we only started touring in the mid 90s, funnily enough. Right. So um, uh, 17 years after we formed, quite appropriately. And uh, but I've got a question for you, right? So, how come you obviously your voice, for whatever reason, springs to mind whenever people think of orchestral projects? You've done several, haven't you? Really? I mean, you work well with orchestras. And what do you think it is about your? Is it because of the range of the voice, or you know, you 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 have a natural empathy with? Large arrangements, or is is it been something that's just organically clumped around you? I'm I'm curious.
1: Well, this is this is my my personal joke with myself is that I didn't really start believing whatever it was until Michael Nyman showed up. Right. And by which time, by by which time, there'd been Bernard, (laughs) David (laughs) Arnold, and Craig Armstrong. I thought, okay, are you sure you want me? And then when Michael showed up, he's like, "Okay, David, I think it's time that you started to acknowledge that actually there is something going on here."
0: Yeah, there
1: is. I don't know why they reached out.
0: Well, obviously, a certain amount of it is because you'd done it before, and they knew that you could cope with it.
1: Yeah, it's it's the the vo- It's certainly um, my, my, my my dreams couldn't have been better aimed um, when it came to working with people, but um, I. On tour, when I've worked with um, sound engineers, they tell stories about how you know how big Liam Gallagher's voice is, and uh, I you know or, or or somebody like that, and then they ask, so what about mine? And they say, no, your voice isn't that big.
0: <laughs> well, maybe that's a good thing because it doesn't occupy. I'm not saying it isn't that big. It's it's very impressive. Well, but I mean, in just talking about Tom maybe because it fits so beautifully into the middle of a big orchestral arrangement it's not like you're not battling against the arrangement you just fit beautifully into it i mean i mean you you're a go-to person for beautiful interpretations of existing songs you know for for great original songs for different styles of context i mean you know it sounds like I'm blowing smoke up your ass. I'm not. I'm honestly not trying to. I'm. I'm not trying to do it. But it's okay. like not. It's a rare thing, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. You have a. You. You have a, a. wide range of possibilities for your voice, that a lot of people don't have, and it's to do with your personality as well. You know, you're obviously an amenable kind of chap, uh, who 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 thinks, who is open to creative context, right? I mean, not everybody would go... A lot of people would go, you know, Michael Nyman is a contemporary... You know, he's a proper contemporary classical composer. You know, a lot of people would go, oh, I don't, don't know. It's a bit outside my comfort zone. And you... I, I get the sense that you're the opposite. You go, oh, I quite like that. It's a bit of a challenge. It comes
1: but, back to the top line thing. Right. Um, The only... Um, control, for want of a better term that I that, that, that I have there, is actually working with somebody who has a really strong vision of what they want to create.
0: Right.
1: And needs a, right. And, and needs a voice to work with. So I think that's the thing that brings uh, all of those uh, musicians together. The guys that we talked about and Sean right now, is that they you know uh, they're, they're, they're they're more than just musicians. They're they're executive producers. They like know how to fashion a project top yeah, yeah. to yeah, bottom. And then um, I'm quite happy to um, go into that because it's they're not the only persons who make offers. But, uh, I, bet. Yeah.
0: I bet. Tell me, come on, spill the beans. Who have you turned down? Well, who have I turned
1: down? I don't know. I
0: don't remember who I've turned down. Oh, that's <laughs> convenient. <laughs> <laughs> BEF. No, 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 no. Mm, so no, if, I, if no. I do another BEF album or a live show, I'm going to invite you. And, and, oh, well, I'll,
1: I'll almost certainly say yes because you are Martin
0: Ware. Oh well, thanks very much. But you correct there. I am Martin Ware. <laughs> uh, that's one thing you are right about. If I was to ask you, say for instance, because what we often do with the BF shows is um, we get you to do your <clears throat> your biggest hit um, in in a kind of ele- electronicy style, uh, and we you know we have great backing singers and yada yada and all that stuff and great musicians and then we ask you to do your uh, whoever it is to do their favorite um cover version what would your favorite cover version be given that you'd have a band of great musicians slightly electronically tinged beautiful female backing vocals
1: so, do I need to choose one with backing vocals?
0: No, they, okay.
1: could, they could fuck off,
0: yeah. Oh, actually,
1: actually, um, okay. um, In 1975, um, I was utterly transported and have been transported ever since by one song, which is my favorite song, my, my favorite record ever. And that was Art Garfunkel's, I Only Have Eyes For You. Wow. And then a few years later, for some years later in New York, I heard the original pop take on that. I ha- I-, I did already know the Busby Berkeley one from the this um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. movie, but then I heard the Flamingos version of that. Right.
0: you know the Flamingos version I don't know that. Oh, oh, the original one, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do know. It. I do know. It. I heard that, and I was similarly transported. So, if anybody ever asks me what my favourite record is, I say it's the two, the, the, the two pop versions of "I Only Have Eyes for You."
0: And you yeah, and you'd like to have a crack at that?
1: I haven't. And as I say that to you now, I I find it remarkable
0: that I haven't yet. But no, I haven't done that. I think yeah, that's that, 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 that that sounds like a good idea. Then that's why maybe we'll have a crack at that.
1: Yeah, I think that would work really nicely electronically as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing that I ever did with Glenn, whose voice has developed beyond beyond now, because he works with Holy Holy and Tony Visconti, who we interviewed the other day, and uh, they've got they do a tribute to Bowie kind of thing, and Glenn does all the all those things. And uh, the first thing he, his um, his audition piece was Wichita Lineman, you know, Jimmy Webb. I, Jimmy Webb's my favourite songwriter of all time, and uh, I'm like I can see that. Yeah, and that was that was pure electronics. I mean, there was not even any electronic drums or anything. It was just like an abstract soundscape. You know, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, okay, got to the fun bit of it now. Well, it's all fun. What's the fun bit? It's <laughs> <laughs> so where we ask you to tap dance. Um, <laughs> No, I ask everybody like smash its type questions, like what's your favourite, right? So, and I don't, I don't give any advance warning because I want to get a spontaneous response. Okay, okay, there's nothing controversial. Don't worry. Um, What's your favourite film? All about Eve. One of them. Sorry, all about Eve. Oh that was quick that's the quickest anybody's ever come on. Yeah, that must have had an impact on you it's a good film well, I,
1: I, I sat down and quantified it the other the other year. It's like okay what do which, which, which film um have you seen which film do you, have you lost count viewing and which one can you quote better than any other and most importantly which one um, shocks you whenever you watch it because you because it has occupied your language
0: Wow. It's like um, a lot
1: of the um, responses that I have, seemingly instinctive responses that I have to um, people, I go to All About Eve. It's like, oh, my God, I say that
0: all the time. (laughs) Really? I'm going to have to go and watch it again now. Oh, you've said so often. So many times. I mean, I've seen it, but, you know, it's one of those things. It's bank holiday, you know, you put it on. But um, so favourite book. favourite book. (laughs) favourite book would have to be The Starlight Barking by Dodie Smith. I don't know that. Can you tell us what...
1: It's the sequel to
0: 101
1: Dalmatians. Is it? It's It's the 1960s psychedelic sequel to 101 Dalmatians where the Dalmatians wake up and all of the humans are asleep and then the Prime Minister's Dalmatian, Cadbig, starts beaming messages from London saying, come to London, something's really important. The Dalmatians discover that they can fly and all the Dalmatians, all of the dogs from all over the country fly to London and then Sirius, the Lord of the Dog Star, comes down, lands on Nelson's column, and says, "You are these. You are the slaves of these humans. Come to the Dog Star and be free." And the Dalmatians vote to stay with the humans. And it has never
0: been turned into a movie. It's got to be a movie, isn't it? It's perfect. It's brilliant. But no well, one's let's so. put some money together and let's buy the let's <laughs> buy the rights. Because that would definitely, in today's CGI world, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? When I was a kid, I read that book over and over and over. What's it called again? Sorry? Starlight Barking. Oh, come on. I can see that on the list of films on... yeah. Have I got the surname right? Let me just quickly check that.
1: Starlight Barking. Because there's a Dodie Grey as well, isn't there? Uh, Yeah. Dodie Smith. Dodie Smith.
0: Yeah. Dodie Smith. Right. Okay. This is a good idea. Um, favorite TV show, present or past?
1: Oh, oh now you're
0: asking. Or series? I uh,
1: uh, I think uh, I think it would have to be Mad Men or The Wire. I'm not sure. Yeah. One of those
0: two. The Wire is really. I mean, I like both of them, but um. but, but then.
1: Closely followed by Life and Loves of a She-Devil. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Crikey, you're so decisive. I love this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so a moment in your life that uh, which was like either a light bulb moment, an epiphanal moment, or a kind of fork in the road where you, you went, oh, that's what I've got to do, or something that really changed you, you know.
1: Something that really changed me. Okay, now, 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 now I, oh, uh, I um, <laughs> it be good. If I, if uh, I, go take- back, I go back to my childhood. And my sister became obsessed with um, my, my sister's an artist, right? right? Portrait painter and children's illustrator. And uh, at, at, at a point in my youth, she became completely obsessed. As, the, as she was um, developing with, with, with a virgin and child. Right. So my mother's mate um, thought this should be encouraged and just started bombarding my sister with virgins and with, with Italian artists from the Renaissance. And um, when I got to that point, sort of, okay, not really in the industry anymore, what am I gonna do with my life? And I was standing in front of that Frangelico Fran painting. That was because I was going into galleries all the time and seeing these images that my sister loved.
0: Right.
1: That was the direction. So I went to the National Gallery one afternoon and a guy was stood next to me and the guy said, I wish that I had um, you know, completed my um, art history studies whilst I was at university because he dropped out. And at that point, I thought, right, I'm applying to Burkbeck. It was the only university I apply I, I applied to. I got in and um, life's been great ever since I still ever, <laughs> ever since I graduated really.
0: I think education is the finest thing you can do for you, finest gift you can give yourself.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I'm, I'm an I'm an autodidact. I've never been to university. Yeah. Um. Even though I'm a visiting professor and a DSc and a DMusic and all all honorary, I hasten to add, but uh. In the university of life. Uh, the university of life exactly. Um. Uh, but I, you know, I do t- honestly think that uh, education and creativity are the two greatest gifts you can. Give yourself anyway. Um, who are on on that um, on that uh, subject? What, who's your favourite visual or conceptual artist? Visual or
1: conceptual artist? Oh, now you're asking. Uh, the
0: tough one, I know, because there's millions, but. Um, Hmm. okay um I mean
1: I've, you know it's one of those when, when, when I think about this later it'll be oh I should have said but um if we just want I'll get you out of jail. I really I, I, I really um I really <laughs> rate Damien Hurst. Mm controversial. Controversial but I went to the retrospective at um Tate Modern and uh I'm absolutely um, blown away by some of the wacky ideas that he has and I particularly love that black sun that he made entirely of flies. I think it's extraordinary. Um, I was really um, struck by the Virgin Bride that was standing in the courtyard of the Royal Academy. Um, I really admire the concept of the butterflies eating the fruit and living and dying in the same space. that kind of um, peculiar marriage between um, cadavers and the living and the sort of playful um, colour of it. Yeah. I, 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 I rate Damien Hirst and I thought the, um, the one about the, the, the diamond-studded skull, I thought that was absolutely stunning.
0: It's <laughs> controversial. It's controversial. I mean, I admire certain elements of, uh, of what he did, uh, what he does. Um, uh I just love uh, Brian Sewell's uh, description of him. What oh, was Brian Sewell's uh, description? <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be good. I know it. <laughs> Two words: shiny shit. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though. I used to love him. Anyway, um, ambition unfulfilled. Yeah, this
1: is th- 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 this. This will be. Um... Travel, this will be going somewhere. I'm pretty sure of that. Where, where in, in in India, stone temples in India,
0: yeah, 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 that's one of them, certainly. Um, have you been to South America? Yeah. Mm? Have you been to South America? I lived there. What, what, what? Oh, of course, you did. I meant, um, kind of like, well, I mean maybe further south, like Chile, Peru, or on the... Oh,
1: no, I have not, sir. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Blue moon. Oh, about well, uh, Yuc- Yucatan and... No, no, that's uh, Mexico, isn't it, I think, Yucatan.
1: What's the place in Peru? Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu.
0: Well, yeah, probably. yeah, the Machu Picchu Trail. Have you been
1: to And uh,
0: Lake Titicaca and all that stuff. Yeah. The floating yeah. islands with actual... Tribes on them that look like they are from National Geographic, you know, uh, from nineteen fifty something. Incredible, uh, and um, yeah. Anyway, that, that that blew my mind. And and going into the middle of the. I don't know if you were near the rainforest, in, in uh, where where you were in South America.
1: Yes. Um, Gu- uh, Guyana has a, a um, has three counties. Demerara, which is where most of the people live, the smallest county, quiet coastal, where the sugar comes from.
0: Right.
1: Or Abyss, where my mother was born, which is like a rural um, farming area. And then the wilderness um, that um, Venezuela have been trying for decades to take from Guyana.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: It was originally occupied by the Spanish, but um, one of the great things about it is that the rainforest is virgin and unspoiled and untouched.
0: It it blew my mind. Yeah, I stayed there for like a a week in in a lodge with no walls, so all the wildlife could come in at night and everything. Mm. Crazy Mm. shit. Anyway, Um, okay. Uh, Which is the favorite of your own work?
1: Oh um the album that hasn't seen the light of day yet. I'm very oh. happy with it. Um before what's, it that, what's it gonna be called? Um oh I can't tell you yet. Oh, NDA. <laughs> the band called mchi Um before that it was um The Glare with um Michael. And before that it was a little communication.
0: Right. Okay. About, about it. Brilliant. And um Who's your favourite, uh, let's see, I have a selection of these. you see, and I, I adapt them to whoever I'm talking to. Um, finally, we'll say, uh, who's your, who's your favourite other musical artist or composer?
1: Uh, mm, well, <clears throat> well, the favourite album of all time is guilty. Really? Um, I don't, I mean, you know, I I, I love Stevie Wonder. Um, I love Prince. I adore Johnny Mitchell. They're all very, very dear to my heart and very, very important to me. But actually, if I'm gonna be 100% honest, it would have to be Baza. Baza? Barry Gibb, sorry. All right.
0: I (laughs) say Barry White for a second.
1: I adore the Bee Gees. I
0: think they are the 20th century's, late 20th century's greatest songwriters. I've always believed that. And uh, even when we were in a kind of experimental electronic band in the late 70s, we always stuck up for them amongst all the trendies, you know. know, Them and Abba, you know. That's one of the
1: things with the latest album. I'm like, oh, somebody's um, you know, letting um their um Barry Love Show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Okay. That's good. Well, what an absolute joy talking to you. It's been brilliant. We could talk for ages. Um Yeah, we could. We all, all got stuff to do. What we'll do part two later in the summer when your album when when the album comes out or when's it gonna come out? You um don't know, can't tell you that. But def- definitely this year, we could do a special. That'd be great. That should be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I like the idea of that. Um, because you know, I think people need to check out.
1: You, know, have you met? Have you met Sean? Do you know Sean from Mac- Hi-Fi? I Sean?
0: I don't. I don't think so.
1: He's a fan. He's a big fan of yours. Is he? Oh. Yeah. right. <laughs> Oh, actually, this 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 I have to tell you. Um, uh, I've got um, some friends living around the corner. I'm in Brixton, and um, a friend called Antoine who likes to you know have gatherings. Yeah. So so, so we all pile over to Antoine's and hang out. It's um it it it, it, it's a black black queer crew. We're all black gay men. About about uh, six, six, six or eight of us, you know, d- d- depending on what's going on. And one night um, we just sort of slipped, as you do, into eighties. Um, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, temptation came on. All right. You have never heard such a racket. <laughs> Fifty-something black gay men going. <laughs> 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 And Antoine, the American, was sitting there like saying, what the hell is wrong with you? You I I wish I'd recorded it. It was delicious. Oh,
0: my God, that sounds hilarious. I'd love to have heard that. (laughs) For some reason, there's two things that Temptation has been um, kind of, I don't know, adopted by. It's become a, a, a strange kind of gay anthem, one of them anyway. But also, amazingly, um, we were invited to headline a goth festival, right? Check it out Whitby Goth Festival. Oh, breakfast. Yeah, Yes, fucking amazing. Entire families turning up in steampunk outfits and stuff. Anyway, and we're going, when they asked us, they said, You do realise we're not a goth band, don't you? Or anything like it. They said, Ah, oh, no, but Temptation is, is like one of their anthems because right. it fits into their lifestyle, right? Mm. I'm going weird. Anyway, we headlined two, uh, two years in a row and they absolutely loved it. And of course we dressed up in all the gear and you know, did all that shit. We like a bit of dressing up. Anyway, what a joy. And and right, two things I want to say before we leave. One is when all this bullshit is over, Ooh. we should meet up and we're going to, you know, we'll go and have a proper chin in the Groucho or something. Lovely. Oh ho uh but secondly if you need um if you need any uh help or you fancy a free remix for anything on your album i'll do it for nothing
1: actually what i will do when we finish speaking
0: is i'll email you the link the soundcloud link so you oh, can i'd
1: love it. to hear it yeah i'm pretty sure that'll be okay with sure
0: and um, you know, no obligation to even use it, but it's just I'm a fan of yours, so.
1: Well, um, if if if, if have a listen to it, and you know, don't 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 be um, be honest with what you think. Well,
0: you never tell me to be honest; it's a real mistake. Really? <laughs> I come from Sheffield. Okay. I have no, I have no filter, I'm afraid. Well, that's all right. Lay it on. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be interesting. but send oh, it you know, to It'll be great, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, <gasps> all right. <laughs> Please do send me some stuff, yeah? Yeah,
1: we'll
0: do. Uh, all right, man. What an absolute joy. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: And I'll be in touch in a couple of weeks because I've got a bit of a backlog to deal with because of the yeah. computer broke down. But I'd love you to be on my podcast as oh, well. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, shit. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's called Ham. It's history, art and music. And yeah. basically it's... um.
1: Three questionnaires. Um, one is um, trotters and truffles, which is about the year of your birth, and then merry um, uh, uh, porklings, which is about something that makes you really happy, and then another one, which is about your um, place of birth. So what I'd need, what I'd need from you ahead of that would just be um, your date, your date of birth, and where you were born. I'd research.
0: Mm-hmm. Well fantastic I'm all I'm all over it brilliant yeah. dun, dun, dun. for halfway through the summer I reckon yeah cool I'm around all oh, right we'll, man we'll be in touch before that yeah I a hard, love Thank you you so day. much all yeah. right bye okay. bye yeah. David McCalmont, ladies and gentlemen what a delightful chap. I have to say, um, I've never met him in the flesh, but I would really like to sit in a restaurant or go to the Graduate Club or whatever, a few drinks, and uh, discuss our mutual interests, which are many, actually, particularly in the kind of diverse um, amount of art that we love and um, different types of music from different periods. Visual art, painting, art history uh, is a big influence on both of our careers. Um, and he's amazingly self-effacing considering how well regarded he is in the industry. Uh, I think it's very interesting, that. Some more emails. Andy Lord. Yes, Martin, your podcasts are proper good. Thank you. I'm loving all your chef o memory Lane stuff. It was before I moved here, though, I chose Sheffield City Poly to do electronics and computing on the grounds that Sheffield was, and still is, a massive electronica hub. That and the film Threads, where the egg boxes get nuked. <laughs> I got married in uh, my first marriage. I got married in the egg box in Peace Gardens in Sheffield. Egg box is a nickname for the registry office. Cause it looked like egg box. My aspiration was and still is to become an electronic pop music producer inspired by Martin Rushent and Daniel Miller. So, while I'm interested in the musical celebs that you interview, I'm personally more fascinated by your studio talk. I'm on a mission to answer. What are the mindsets of top music producers? How can I acquire that inner game? And what the fuck is a producer anyway? All good questions. Uh, that's a big Big questions, big answers, need, and I'm not going to do it now. Perhaps then, along with musicians, you might look at people who sit in the background, They Are The Real Heroes, Trevor Horn, of course, I'm on the track of that, JJ Jexalik. Atticus Ross, Sister Bliss, I am. Uh, I know Sister Bliss, nice woman. If Sheffield Synthfest goes ahead this year, then that would also be an excellent opportunity for you to plunder material for your casts. That guy with the big moog and the guy who looks like he's from the 70s Open University. chronically <laughs> Tronically yours, Andy, the sound chimp. But anyway, please keep sending me emails to electronicallymartin at com with your suggestions. Again, looking for uh, suggestions, um, a diverse range of suggestions. Um interested in american artists as well and um i'm i'm trying to uh, get more female artists as i mentioned before involved and i'm definitely going to do a, a a um young artist special at some point but i've got I'm, I'm recording so many of these at the moment that i'm actually worried that I'm stockpiling too many and it's getting a bit out of hand so I might have to just back off for a few weeks in terms of recording having said that I've got some incredible people coming up as you were about to find out and uh, so please subscribe and share uh, your knowledge about this podcast I need your help to spread the audience because if I can get a bigger audience I can get some sponsorship to help keep it going because at the moment it's costing me significant amount of money to do this and and time i don't mind the time but the money i do mind so i need to get a sponsor and to do that i need to have you know as good listening figures as i can um so please spread the word and i really appreciate that it would be great if you could thank you so much and i will see you at the next amazing podcast bye